0: So I've titled today's message, Why? I, I uh, had a friend a number of years ago, he's gone to be with the Lord now, but we used to play golf every Monday, and uh, he, was always, he, he was always asking me questions. And Monday's my day off, so I don't like questions on Monday. <laughs> he's always asking why about something, so... One, one Monday, he kept asking why and why. I think he was asking me about end times or something, which is not my favorite topic. And uh, he was standing on the tee box, and he started tea tee off, and then he turned around and said, why something? I said, would you just shut up and hit the ball? <laughs> had enough whys today. <laughs> you know, kids ask why. That's how they grow. That's how they learn is by asking why. Science asks why. That's what drives science forward is they, they ask questions. They're inquisitive. They want to learn. But sometimes we don't know why. Uh, Ginger and I was called over to somebody's house a number of years ago and their, their son had just shot himself in the backyard with a shotgun. And you can imagine the parents. Why? Sometimes there just isn't an answer to why. might be an answer, but you don't know what it is. So I want to ask you this morning, how comfortable are you when there seems to be no answer to why? We've been talking about why for, this will be the fourth week, why are are you afraid, why do you worry, last week why do you judge, and today is why in the sense of why all the fuss, why all the hubbub, why all the commotion is the word that Jesus used, when you don't know why, why is there so much turmoil over not knowing the answer? Because we think we always have to know the answer. Sometimes we don't. So the first question I want to ask today is, do you trust God when there aren't answers? Do you trust him? I don't understand. Some people will say, I don't believe in, I don't believe in God because I just don't get this. I thought about that the the end, and I thought, I'm not sure I'd believe in a God that I do understand. I mean, really, you think about it. We can't understand God. We can't understand His ways. Sometimes we know the answers, but often we don't. So notice on your outline, in our relationship with the Lord, why can drive us toward Him, or it can drive us away from Him, and it's really up to us. Which way it drives us. So there are two stories in the Gospel of Mark that are right together. In fact, they're vitally connected to one another. Though there's two different stories, and I, if you want to look in your Bible or look on your iPhone or whatever iPad, whatever you've got, uh, Matthew chapter five, beginning in verse 21. You can just listen as I, as I read. Not the whole story, but just a portion of both of them. When Jesus again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So notice a crowd. That's important to the understanding of this text. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Then notice again, it says, a large crowd. So there's a crowd when Jairus came, now there's a large crowd that's moving along with he and Jesus. A large crowd followed and pressed pressed around him, pressed around Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had yet. Instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, imagine this, after 12 years, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. She would have been shunned because of this problem. She couldn't go to the synagogue besides all the suffering and the pain that she she went through. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, as disciples answered. In other words, there's this huge crowd. Yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus, looking around to see who had done it, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the, the whole truth. He said to her, because she, she wasn't supposed to touch anybody. Nobody was supposed to touch her because of this problem that she had. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, remember the that got get the sick daughter. And they said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? In other words, it's too late. It's too late. So I want to ask some why questions. The first question is, why this one? So there's a crowd moving along with Jesus. They're pressing, they're pulling. You, you, you've you been in a crowd before. And this man named Jairus, he was a synagogue official, but that was, he was an important man, but it wasn't that big a deal. He was... He was uh, elected to take care of the administrative duties in the synagogue and arranged for who was going to be the the rabbi for for that day or the teacher for that day. And there's this crowd, and Jairus comes and falls at Jesus' feet and said, please come and heal my, my little girl. She was 12 years old. Please come and place your hands on her that she may be healed. So when I ask the question, why this one? Now we don't know for sure, but I can't imagine in a crowd that Jairus was the only one who came to Jesus and asked him for help. And the, the reason the crowd was there is because they were seeking answers. They were seeking help. Many, Oftentimes they were seeking healing. Why, why this one? Now you can speculate and say, well, he said he believed that Jesus could heal his little girl. Well, maybe there's a whole bunch of people in that crowd who believed that Jesus could take care of their problem. That's why they were there. So why this one? You, you've been in a crowd. I, when I think of a crowd, I don't think of Billings. I think of New York City. Uh, one time we were there during the lighting of the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center, and golly, I never want to be in that crowd again. <laughs> I mean, people were just—I mean, it was uncomfortable. Just crowds of people pressing in. We're in Times Square during certain times of the year. It's that way. I was on a subway. During rush hour one time, Ginger and I were going downtown, and usually when we'd been on the subway, it was was not that full, but it was during rush hour, so I mean, people were pressed in, and, and I was just like this with a guy. <laughs> and he was a, he was a Hispanic guy, and he was, you know, in, in New York, sometimes people can look pretty tough, and he looked kind of like a tough dude, and so I'm s- s- looking at him, <laughs> and I don't have Drew to help me out, so... So I'm, I'm looking at him, and I said, I said, I better say something. So I said, gosh, I think we could become friends if we stay on here very long. And, and then this guy just lit up and started talking and laughing and having fun. But a crowd can be really uncomfortable, can't it? Pressing, pulling, whatever. And I just had to ask myself the other, why this one? And one of the reasons I asked the question is because we don't know. Why did he pick that one man out of the crowd to heal heal his daughter? We don't know. I know there have been times in my life when I wanted to be the one, and I wasn't. I remember for uh, about a three-year period of time, I'd walk around the worship center, and I I, I wouldn't say to Jesus, (laughs) you know, I'm the one. But I did say, Lord, here I am. You have a willing servant. In other words, why not me? And I didn't feel like he was picking me. So why this one? 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says, we we put this verse up in our prayer room at Faith Chapel. It says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. The eyes of the Lord are moving to and fro throughout the earth, looking for someone whose heart is fully committed to Him. And yet sometimes we don't feel like we're the one. Uh, I remember many years ago, I, uh, I wanted something really bad. And it wasn't the wrong thing to ask for, but I I just, I had my bags packed. I was ready to go. And I talked to my accountability group. I talked to lots of other pastors. And I wasn't the one. I really thought I was the one, and I wasn't. And I remember sitting in a meeting and the guy that was the one was sitting right in front of me facing toward the front of the room. And I remember sitting, I was, I was just sitting there thinking, why him? And I was resentful. Why did he get picked and I didn't get picked? Has that ever happened to you? Why not me? Why do they get this? Or why do they get that? Or why, why do their prayers seem to be answered? And my prayer isn't being answered. So, Notice the next statement on the outline. How often do you go to your room, shut the door, sit in His presence, listen, focus on Jesus, and get His attention? My point being, the eyes of the Lord are moving to and fro throughout the earth. The question isn't whether His eyes are fixed on us. The question is, are our eyes fixed on Him? Sometimes we... Assume, or we might even pray, but we're really not focused on him and paying attention to what he wants as opposed to what we might want. As it turned out, the fact that I wasn't the one was a blessing, a great blessing, which is part of my point. Jairus came up to Jesus in this crowd. Put yourself in his place. His little girl is dying. She's 12 years old. The crowd is moving along. Jesus is, he said, he's the one. He's going with him. And then Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And he starts looking around. And then this woman comes up. Now think about Jairus. What's Jairus thinking? Jesus, my little daughter's dying. You're stopping to talk to this woman? My daughter is dying. In other words, he thinks that Jesus could be late. It seemed like he was going to answer the prayer, but then he, he stopped. And Jairus is having to wait. Please, he had to be thinking, Jesus, please, come on, let's, could, could, we just, could, we, could we just move on? You felt that way. And then Jesus did move on, went to the house of Jairus, and here's a little 12-year-old girl. So you say about Jairus and his daughter, why this one? And you have to say about the woman who stopped Jesus in the crowd, why that one? Again, there had to be a lot of people in that crowd asking for Jesus' attention. And what I want to to leave you with in this point is sometimes we don't know why that one and not that one. We just don't know. It's frustrating, isn't it? Second question is why now? Here's a a man who has a 12-year-old daughter and then he meets a woman who's had a problem for 12 years. In other words, I'd never thought about this before. But this woman has been suffering from hemorrhaging, a female problem, for as long as this little girl has been alive. Since she was born, she's had this problem. And their lives intersect. This woman, who had the issue of blood for 12 years, must have thought, gosh, I'm desperate. You know, she's gone to every doctor. She's tried everything. She's shunned by society. You know, and now, why now? Seems like it's been a long time I've been waiting for this to be fixed. And then when the they get to the little girl's houses it's too late. It's too late. I have friends who are late. You have any friends who are late? You guys remember Josh? Josh was always late. Until I taught him how to use the alarm on his phone. He loved an iPhone. He was on it all the time. So I told him, I said, "Did you know there's an alarm on that? You can be on time. Set that for about ten minutes before you're supposed to show up anyplace." And he did. I have friends who are late to meetings. I have friends who are late for appointments. I have friends who are late to church. You guys are in the first service this morning, by the way. Golly. Oh, maybe it's just late. Seems like the second, like the second service. service. So you feel like you're waiting for the Lord. Maybe some of you are waiting for the Lord about something right now. Uh. I remember writing in a journal one day in a hotel room and out of curiosity I'd been praying about this thing for a long, long time and so out of curiosity I had something written in my Bible and I looked at it it had been two years that I'd been praying for this particular thing. And it wasn't a bad thing, it was a good thing. And it seemed like God was late. Many of you have heard me use this verse. Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen says, Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. In other words, if I'm waiting for the Lord, I'm waiting for a period of time to pass from there to here, waiting for a period of time to pass. But a number of years ago, I thought about this and I thought waiting for the Lord isn't just waiting for that period of time to pass. it's waiting for the Lord today, waiting for the Lord today, waiting for the Lord today. In other words, it's not just waiting for a period of time to pass. It's what you do while you wait, you wait on the Lord in relationship with him. So sometimes it seems like he's just too late. That's what they said when Jesus was paying attention to this woman, people came from Jairus's house and they said it's too late, don't bother the teacher anymore. It's too late. And Jesus said, "Don't be afraid." So now with me, this is this is a funny thing about me. I'm not a I'm not a quick thinker. I'm a slow thinker. My wife is a quick thinker, but I'm a slow thinker. I get it. It Takes me a little longer to get there, and sometimes I get it better than she does because I got it later. I won't say that in the second service. (laughs) I was born late. When I was in junior high, I was immature and childish when the other kids were growing up and I was still a little kid. When I was in high school, I knew I was born at least three years late because the girls were all going for the seniors. That wasn't right. I didn't start college till I was 24, almost 25. That was late. All the kids that graduated from high school and were there hated me because I actually worked hard because I knew I had to. I graduated from college when I was <coughs> 30 years old, and it was kind of embarrassing because that's late. And the pastor, every year at graduation, they'd bring all the graduates up to the front and give them a card. So all the high school kids are coming up, and he's giving them, giving them a card, and then he calls my name, and I go up and everybody laughs. Late. Didn't start my occupation till I was in my thirties. Could have a PhD by then. I wouldn't be good at Jeopardy, would you? Isn't is Jeopardy frustrating? I mean, they'll ask you a question, and I'll know the answer, and I can't remember the guy's name. I can picture him, but I can't remember the name. So, I think the Lord spends more time waiting on me than I've spent waiting on Him. Is that possible for you? Is it possible that the Lord is waiting on you rather than you waiting on Him? The children of Israel took a 30-day trip in 40 years as they were wandering around the wilderness. He was waiting on them. They weren't waiting on Him. So notice on the outline, it might be too late for what you want to do, but it's not too late for what He wants to do. So, I brought a rope today some people have been nervous about this it actually does have a noose on the end but uh, Dave come grab this piece of rope right here I want you to just 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 go go back and sit down well you better not sit down you might hang that guy and uh, would you take the end of this rope I want you to take this rope and just kind of keep it. Gosh, I got my thumb in there. I don't want to rip that off. Just keep it kind of tight, and I want you to walk around the corner and keep the rope tight. Okay, pull on it. Okay, that's good. So everybody see the rope? Okay. Now let's imagine that that is eternity. So we can't think about eternity past. That's, that's mind-boggling. But it says about Jesus in the beginning, the word was. And you think about eternity into the future, that you will live forever. That's a little hard to grasp. So what we do is we've got eternity past and we've got eternity future. And you know how we think? Little speck right here. (laughs) Everything that you know, everything that you've learned, everything that you experienced is one little tiny speck in eternity. God, on the other hand, sees everything from the beginning, He sees everything to the end all at once. He's omnipresent, He's omniscient. He sees it all. So here I am praying for something, and the Lord knows everything for all time. In other words, I probably don't know nearly as much as I think I do. I don't have a clear perspective on what God really wants, my perspective is very limited in the context of what God knows and how God thinks. Okay, you can drop the rope. Thank you. So I want to just make some statements here, and you can fill in the blanks about trusting him. Trusting him in light of who he is. So Jesus, excuse me, the third question is, why all the commotion, why all the fuss, why all the dither in light of who God is and who we are? So when Jesus shows up at Jairus, Jairus' house, Everybody's wailing. Have you ever heard Middle Eastern people wail? Oh, my gosh, it's a racket. They're wailing, and they're mourning, and there's this big fuss. And he says, everybody out. I love that. Everybody out. And he kept Peter and James and John himself and the mom and the dad and, of course, the little girl. While the commotion in your life, you're frustrated about what you want, so am I. But while the fuss, maybe it's because we don't trust him with eternity. So fill in the blanks. He is your father, trust him to do the right thing. Trust him to do the right thing. In American Christianity, we think Christianity means everything is up and to the right. That's what's taught many, many places. You get saved, everything gets better. That's certainly not biblical Christianity. In fact, oftentimes when people began to follow the Lord, things got a lot worse. And sometimes we think, gosh... This is just not happening. My, one of my daughters, when she was in high school, this sounds so bizarre, but the Babcock Theater started showing X-rated movies for a very short period of time, many years ago, in the 70s, maybe early 80s. And one of my daughters came home one day and she said, I got a job, I got a job, I got a job. I said, really, where is it? She said, down at the Babcock Theater. And they'd just begun showing these movies. And uh, I won't tell you everything I said, but (laughs) the idea was there's no way this is happening. Well, why not? I won't be seeing the movies. I'll just be selling popcorn. I said, no, period. Oh, gosh, she was mad. But I did the right thing. She didn't get it, but I did the right thing. He's your father, trust his timing. Again, in light of eternity, that makes sense, doesn't it? His timing is much different. To him, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. It's not like the way we think. My daughters always wanted to go out on dates before I thought they were ready. It was their timing, but not my timing. And I let boys know very clearly that it wasn't time yet. But he's right on time. He's our Father. Trust him for who he is. This is the big deal. We can love God for his blessing or we can love God for who he is. Which way do you love God? Do you love God because he blesses you or do you love him because of who he is? Who is he? Well, you've heard me say a million times, Psalm 136 says, His love endures forever, 26 times in 26 verses. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. That's who He is. Grace. He meets us where we are. Some of you think you have to be good enough before God's going to move toward you. He meets you right where you are, wherever that is. He'll meet you there. God's mercy. How much mercy does God have? He's loaded. He's loaded. He's rich in mercy. That's who he is. So even though I may not understand what's happening in my life right now, I must trust him because I know that he is love, he is grace, he is mercy, He's forgiveness. He's going to be always on time. He's never going to be late. And then he is your father. Trust him even when you don't understand. That's, that's the hard one, isn't it? When I was a sophomore in high school, I was working on my uncle's farm and I was in my spare time running, preparing for football season. And uh, so I was running, trying to get in shape for football. My, you know, I was in good shape except for my running. And uh, my mom and dad came home from a trip and they said, we're, we're moving. I'd gone to the same school with the same kids Now I'm a sophomore in high school, and they say, we're moving to where I don't know anybody. I'm getting ready for football. I know all my friends. We're moving. And I begged them to tell me, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Well, Dad doesn't want to drive so far. It's 25 miles. It was only... 10 years later than that that I found out why. And it was a good reason. It wasn't a good thing, but it was a good reason why they were moving. Why doesn't God answer us when we think he should? I don't know. I don't know. How comfortable are you with we don't know the answer. We can be real comfortable if we trust him, and who He is. Paul said, To keep from being conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. <coughs> Some people try to explain that away. You can't explain it away. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Jim talked about humility a little bit this morning. When you're weak, The Lord is thinking, I got you right where I want you. Why? Because then you look to Him. Otherwise, we just do it ourselves. I can do this. But when we're weak, I mean, think about the times in your life when you've been hurting. What do you do? That's when you really turn to Him, oh Lord. It's not that He wants us to suffer, it's that He wants our eyes to be fixed on Him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown in the furnace because they wouldn't bow down to the idol. I love this line. Nebuchadnezzar said, What God can save you? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. In other words, when I pray, I believe, I ask for, but even if I don't get what I want, I still trust him. That's what they're saying. Why? Because he's got eternity in mind. He knows just a little bit more than I do. He's your father. Trust him. This isn't all there is. I know that that can ring a little hollow at times, But when you think about eternity and that little speck in eternity that we are, you think, well, if I don't get this by this year, then that's the end of the world. But this life is, gosh, especially we as Americans, we're trying to make earth heaven. We want to make it heaven, and it's not. But there is a Heaven. And whatever we face now and however we face it. There's a woman who works in Africa who deals with kids that are dying every day of her life. She's been there for 30 years. And whenever she gives a talk someplace, she talks about the kids and talks about what she's doing. And then she says, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Why? Why? Because this isn't all there is. You and I have it pretty good. We have it pretty good. But in biblical times when it lists the heroes of the faith, read Hebrews chapter 11, it lists all the heroes of the faith and says this person, this person, this person, this person. But it comes to the end of Hebrews chapter 11, the great people of the faith, and it says they did not receive what they're asking for in this life. This isn't all there is. And Lord, I'm so glad this isn't all there is because when we look around us, we get comfortable with our culture, uncomfortable with our culture. We get uncomfortable with the values that are so much different than ours. We get uncomfortable with the sickness and the pain and the suffering. We get uncomfortable, Lord, with our own things that we don't understand why. But I'm so glad, Lord, that this is just a speck. And I pray, Lord, that we would be increasingly comfortable even today with not always knowing the answer to why. Because we know that you do. And we know that we can trust you because of who you are. So, Lord, I pray for anybody right now that's in the midst of it. Maybe they're suffering, maybe they're in pain. Maybe they don't have everything that they need right now. Lord, let that drive us to our knees and drive us to you. Because you're our Father and you love us and you're gracious and you're merciful. And we know that our lives are in your hands. So Lord, not only are your eyes on us, but we want to fix our eyes on you.